I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, sort of technical note so i'm on the road so my audio quality is not as good as it typically is when i'm in the studio um that should be back to normal once i return in just about a week please hang with me when i have sort of a little bit more of a janky audio situation but i will do my best to make it sound soothing and beautiful on your ears Welcome to Creature Feature, production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show, it's another Listener Questions episode. I answer your questions to the best of my ability. You can write to me at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com with any questions you have about animals, evolutionary biology. You can send me pictures of your pets. And I love to answer these questions. They often send me on very interesting sort of study sessions, trying to find out about your questions. And let's just get right into it. Uh, First listener question. Folks say things like crocodiles have been around for X million years, relatively unchanged. And obviously evolution is an ongoing process, but speaking to classifying animals, what's the oldest and what's the newest animal? When and how do new classifications of species happen? This is from Blake R. Hi, Blake. This is a really interesting question. Very good question. It is a bit of a touchy topic in evolutionary biology because the broad answer is that definition of species and distinctions between species can be a bit of a gray area. So there are different schools of thought when it comes to defining species. One is the biological species concept. It defines a species as a group that can produce viable, fertile offspring. So while a horse can technically have offspring with a zebra, making a zorse, uh, the resulting hybrid is infertile, so the horse and the zebra are considered separate species. But this concept has some issues. It's not something that can easily be applied to fossil species, 
so we may not know whether they can produce viable fertile offspring or not. It also doesn't take into account speciation by geographical barrier. So perhaps two species that got separated are, and are on different continents could reproduce viable fertile hybrid offspring, but does it really mean that these species that have been living apart for millions of years are the same species? There are also species of animals that reproduce asexually, and so the biological species concept doesn't really apply to them typically. I mean, usually when you have asexuality in species, they do go through phases of sexual reproduction, but still it, it adds a layer of complexity. There are also species that are quite clearly anatomically distinct, such as polar bears and grizzly bears, who can freely hybridize and produce viable fertile hybrids. So pizzlies and growler bears are actually fertile and they can have offspring. Neanderthals and humans are considered different species. I mean, we have different evolutionary lineages. Uh, we're more cousins than we are. We didn't evolve from Neanderthals. We are cousins to Neanderthals, uh, but we still have a lot of Neanderthal DNA floating around in our current human populations because of how we interbred successfully with the Neanderthals. In fact, one of the theories of Neanderthals disappearing is that, sure, we probably killed a lot of them off or outcompeted them, but a lot just simply kind of like integrated into human society like we have Neanderthal DNA there was a lot of interbreeding and so yeah just kind of Neanderthals became subsumed by humans so basically defining what a new species is can get kind of messy and there are some rough ways to do it such as seeing if they can interbreed looking at geographical location looking at phenotypical differences, so that's like what they look like, what is on the outside, and even examining genetic lineages and differences. So generally, if you have a species evolving into another species, it will either be anatomically, locationally, or genetically distinct enough that scientists think it deserves its own category. Uh, in terms of Blake's question about oldest and newest species, uh, things like sponges and comb jellies are probably the oldest animal species. These are oceanic species like sea sponges, comb jellies uh, that are these very simple looking, interesting, like almost transparent orbs or like tiny blimps. Uh, these probably came about over 700 million years ago. Uh, for comparison, crocodiles are only 200 million years old, and the first flowering plant popped up only around 130 million years ago. In terms of the newest animal, that's a little bit trickier given that evolution is a fluid process, it's happening all around us, and we simply don't have researchers looking at every single animal species on the planet being able to detect exactly when speciation happens. But an example of one of the newer species on Earth uh, is a finch on the Galapagos Islands, those same Finches that Darwin noted had differently shaped beaks for the different types of seeds and food found on the different islands uh, are still going through evolution. So in the 1990s and early 2000s, 
researchers noted that a cactus finch had migrated over to a Galapagos island that it's not native to, the Daphne Major Island. Then researchers noticed a hybrid species come from this invader cactus finch and a native medium ground finch. The new hybrid species is actually fertile and has to breed only with other hybrids because they have such a different beak shape and different song to attract females. It can really only breed with other hybrids. So, uh, of course, there's a lot of inbreeding, uh, but they manage to continue to function and grow to be a population of around 23 individuals and eight bonded pairs. So I think researchers considered this a new species. So this just happened basically in the early 2000s. Uh, so that's pretty recent. I mean, this is by no means does this mean this is the absolute newest species. We just, this is a relatively recent one that uh, where we uh, sort of notice the speciation. Uh, but yeah, this is probably happening to many species over the, around the earth, but we just simply don't know. Uh, and you can like track sort of the, the genetic changes and be able to see like uh, when these kinds of speciations have occurred. But uh, yeah, it, it can be quite recent, like uh, just within the last couple of decades. So we're going to take a quick break and then answer more listener questions. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics, in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here is another listener question. I thought maybe one idea for an episode could be unusual ways animals evolved to be aware of enemies or prey in their environment. Or have you done something like this already? I mean, heads that spin around, weird eye placements for 360 degree views, supernatural senses, only sleeping with half of your brain at a time, you probably know better ones. So this is from PK, in, who sent me a really cute video of a kingfisher who has really amazing rotation of the head so it can turn its head much like an owl and look all scan all around rather than moving its eyes. I may indeed use this idea for a full episode, but in the meantime, this suggestion actually made me think of weird eyes, and one of the weirdest eyes I can think of is this third eye that a lot of animals have called the parietal eye. So this is present in amphibians, lizards, salamanders, tuataras, which is a lizard-like reptile. It's also found in lampreys, which are these sort of eel-like fish. Uh, they're found in some species of fish and in sharks. So the third eye is not like a wide open regular eyeball, but you can often see a small bump or ridge on top of the animal's head. Or in species that have interesting coloration, sometimes you see like a band of coloration around the eye. So it usually presents as this tiny gray oval and as the animal matures, it usually gets covered in a layer of skin. So the eye is not like the other two eyes. It does not have the rod and cone photoreceptors that we have in, say, like our eyeballs. Um, but it is more like a photosensitive mass that is connected to the pineal gland. So the pineal gland uh, has roles in hormone production and regulating circadian rhythm and thermoregulation. So it's thought that this parietal eye also helps in these processes. So one theory is that it acts as a dosimeter, which is a device that measures ionizing radiation. So uh, the idea is that this is basically a biological dosimeter. So the parietal eye could potentially help regulate hormone production and thermoregulation based on the intensity of the sun's radiation. So, uh, which, you know, seems to make sense. Like you need to know like how to regulate your body's temperature if it's hotter outside um, or how to regulate, say, melatonin production based on the sun's position in the sky in terms of regulating sleep-wake cycles. So when researchers remove the third eye, this parietal eye from lizards, it seems to mess up their basking behavior and activity schedule, which shows it basically functions like a sun-sensitive watch for lizards, helping them know when they should be most active, when they should rest, and when they should either bask in the sun or find refuge in the shade. It also seems to help lizards with navigation, using the sun as a marker and knowing how to navigate by memory. So in an experiment, lizards were trained that there's an invisible ledge in this pool of water. And they were basically, they, they learned how to use the sun to navigate to this ledge. But when their parietal eyes were either covered or just surgically removed, they would swim in these random directions and fail to be able to find this ledge. Uh, it seems like it's also functioning as an internal compass by using the radiation as a sun as sort of a 
marker and then being able to track like the lizard's relative position to the sun to determine location, which is really cool. I wish I had a third eye. I'm really bad at navigation. I very easily get turned around. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I could use all the help I can get and it would look really cool. We're going to take a quick break and answer another listener question when we get back. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Next listener question. I have a question for your listener questions podcast. Why are gorillas so big and strong? Animals usually only invest that much energy into muscle if there's some evolutionary advantage, but what do gorillas get out of being so strong, especially compared to other primates? Thanks, Gary. Hi, Gary. So this is a really interesting question uh, because gorillas are herbivores. Uh, I mean, sometimes uh, they will eat termites and ants, but either way, these food sources don't necessarily require a lot of strength to eat. In fact, there are many herbivores that are quite strong, like hippos. So it's very interesting when you see like, you know, actually carnivores certainly do not uh, have the monopoly on being strong. And some of the strongest animals uh, are herbivores and they get all of their 
sort of muscle mass from vegetation, which is really interesting. So gorillas, uh, unlike certain species like hippos, are actually not that aggressive. They don't typically use their body mass to just like, you know, mow down other species. They're one of the more gentle primate species, especially with conspecifics. So conspecifics means a member of your own species, and gorillas tend to try to avoid conflict with each other. But uh, the males will get territorial. They have a harem system where there is a dominant silverback gorilla who controls a troop of gorillas. Usually uh, it ranges to up to like 30 individuals, including females and juveniles and babies. And uh, the dominant male has the exclusive uh, mating rights with the females, unless being sneaky. And so he will attack any other males who tries to basically take over his territory, which comes with those mating rights to those females. Um, and often there will be these aggressive displays, you know, chest thudding, that that kind of like trope is, it's true. They, they will try to seem like, like, look, I am big, I am scary and strong. You don't want to take me on as a challenger so that they you know, they would prefer to settle things relatively peacefully so they don't have to risk being injured, but they will fight, and sometimes they will fight to the death, especially when you have two troops of gorilla coming together, you have two dominant silverbacks, and they are trying to fight over territory. They can sometimes kill each other. Um, they are also highly defensive of their families, both females and males, and they will definitely turn you into a body part salad if you come off as a threat to them or their family. But when you compare them to something like chimpanzees, they are a little bit less aggressive. Chimpanzees are a bit more, I guess, ornery of a species. So why they're so strong? Um, I mean, one thing you look at is the difference between males and females. So for the Western lowland gorilla gorilla, which is found in the Congo Basin, males weigh around 300 to 500 pounds, which is around 130 to 230 kilograms, whereas females range from about 150 to 200 pounds, which is about 114 kilograms. So females are quite a bit smaller than the males, and this is a hint for what this strength is typically used for. The relatively greater strength of the males is likely a great benefit to them so that they can defend territory and access to females. So evolutionary pressures would greatly reward these stronger, bigger males. And with enough access to vegetation to feed their bulk, they are able to get very large. Uh, now, unlike uh, humans who have to like work out, go to the gym, do reps, get swole to maintain muscle mass, uh, gorillas' metabolism will automatically convert vegetation and cellulose into muscle mass. Uh, and they spend a lot of time on the ground rather than in the trees, so they're walking on their arms and a lot of, like, upper body strength used to move around, and they, uh, kind of have traded off, uh, the nimbleness of, say, like a chimpanzee who can spend more time in the trees for just being more of a tank. Um... So the large silverback dominant males can lead these troops of around, you know, 30 individuals, like I said. And, uh, you know, even, uh, even when he is threatened, he, he tries to kind of just put on this display. So they really are uh, more docile 
than a lot of species, that doesn't mean you should try to approach one and, like, give him a fist bump or something because, um, he will ruin your entire body if he thinks you are a threat. Like, and, you know, you're a strange, a stranger basically coming up to his family. He, he's not gonna assume you're there for <laughs> good purposes. Um, uh, another thing that they can use their strength for is to rip and tear branches to get at vegetation. And, uh, young gorillas will easily scale trees, uh, but the adults really don't spend too much time in the trees. They can climb trees, though, and they will if they want to get a snack up there. Um, so, in terms of the question why, why gorillas are so big compared to chimpanzees, I mean, one thing is that you kind of have this, this thing that happens in evolution where it doesn't, you don't always have to arrive to the same evolutionary design in order to be a successful species. So it's whatever evolutionary path that takes you towards something. So you have probably the selection for larger males uh, because that makes it easier for them to com compete for females uh, in their environment. And then you have this kind of runaway selection where, like, they get bigger and bigger. And as the males get bigger, the females also have to get bigger. I mean, you can't really have, like, a chihuahua-sized female and a, you know, like, gorilla-sized male. So the, the females also will uh, get larger in size, even if there is this sexual dimorphism. Uh, availability of vegetation is important. So if they live in a habitat where they really do have a lot of access to the food they need to nourish their bodies, that will allow for a larger size. Uh, an extinct uh, primate called Gigantopithecus is this like, it looks like this like huge orangutan. Uh, it went extinct because of climate change and they were so specialized in eating very specific vegetation once that uh, was reduced by the change in climate, uh, they were not able to generalize their eating behavior enough and they, would, they just died out due to lack of nutrition to maintain such a huge body. So being big is great, but it comes with this trade-off, right? Like it means that if there are fewer resources, uh, you are in a lot of trouble. So that's, not, that's why like not all species just like go towards being as big as possible. There are other ways, there are other ways to be successful as an animal. So while you might think that gorillas face no threats other than humans, uh, given how giant they are, um, their young are actually quite vulnerable. So there was this case when seven gorillas were attacked by 27 chimpanzees for over an hour, during which time the chimpanzees were able to separate one of the babies from its mother. They kidnapped it, they killed it, and ate it. Uh, nature is really brutal sometimes. So, uh, but you can see that even with all their strength, gorillas can be victims of attacks by huge mobs of chimpanzee. So the fact that they're really physically strong doesn't necessarily always give them an advantage uh, to protect their young uh, against chimpanzees who are able to just kind of amass an army and uh, be quick and nimble and then like steal away some of their young. So the uh that large size does come with some downsides which is agility being able to quickly you know hide um and so uh, you know it, it, i think that you and also what i mentioned earlier in terms of like getting enough vegetation it might increase competition because each individual needs more food so it's a trade-off and it's not going to be 
the path that some species take getting that big. Uh, but yeah, some species like it, it has worked out for the gorillas um, pretty much until, you know, humans came into the picture and uh, we've really been messing with them in terms of their habitat. And that, that's the main threat to them. Chimpanzees are not like the biggest threat. It, it's it's humans as usual. Uh, we are the most dangerous primate. So uh, on to the mystery animal sound game. Every week I play a mystery animal sound and you try to guess who is making that sound. So last week I actually did a rerun episode. I've been actually visiting the U.S. So I, I live abroad, but I came back to the U.S. to visit family, visit friends, go to a few weddings. So last week I played a rerun. I might do the same next week. We'll see. I'll, I'll try to fit in another recording, but if I can't, I will pick out one of my favorite episodes for you to listen to. Um, so first, uh, let us go over what was in the rerun episode because there was a mystery animal sound and the hint given uh, was this. Its name sounds like a collaboration between a biologist, a heavy metal band, and a hairdresser. So congratulations to Amanda and Boynton Middle School grade 7 for guessing correctly the screaming Harry Armadillo. So the screaming Harry Armadillo is exactly as it sounds. It's a very hairy armadillo and it screams when it is handled. So they are found in Central and South American desert environments and they do not like to be picked up. And when a human picks them up, usually in a zoo or wildlife rescue organization, they will make this horrible mandrake shriek. Uh, so on to the next mystery animal sound from the episode Missing Parts from two weeks ago. The hint, this hairy animal doesn't want his picnic on a rainy day. So congratulations to Auntie B, Emily M, and David D, and David D's son Xavier, who all guessed correctly, the sun bear. So sun bears are the smallest bear species, weighing only around 50 to 140 pounds, uh, around uh, 25 to 65 kilograms. They are found in rainforests in Southeast Asia. They have a patch of yellowish fur on their chests and are otherwise black with these tan muzzles. They are very cute. They're pigeon-toed with feet facing inwards and have large hook-like claws, allowing them to easily climb trees and to get both protection and food sources such as honey, bees, fruit. They'll rip open hollow trees just to get at the bees and honey inside. They eat also vegetation, termites, even small vertebrates when the chance arises. Basically anything tasty that they can get their cute little Freddy Krueger claws on. In addition to threats from humans, young sun bears must contend with predation by pythons and leopards. Otherwise, they live in pretty hospitable environments and they have enough nutrition to be active year round and they do not hibernate. On to this week's Mr. Animal Sound, the hint... Squeakers here doesn't like being handled. In fact, his own hands have turned into something very different through evolution. So do not adjust your podcast that is an animal noise and not just the audio going crazy. 
Uh, if you think you know who is squawking, you can write to me at creaturefuturepod at gmail.com. Or write to me with your questions. I do these listener questions episode relatively regularly, so I try to get to every question in my inbox. And if I don't answer it on the show, I do try to respond to those emails, uh, even if I am slow. Like a sloth, I will get there eventually. Uh, so <laughs> thank you guys so much for writing in to me. Uh, and thank you to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exolumina. Creature Features, a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or hey, guess what? Wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Look, I, I will not rat you out to the podcast police. Don't worry. See you next Wednesday. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.